please turn in your Old Testaments to Luke chapter, or excuse me, Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Ruth chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. And if you're uh, new today, you can go online, and this is a narrative, uh, a book that tells a story, so you can catch up if you wanted to, um, and, and, and kind of find your way to where we are. I'd like to just read the first three verses, and I'll read the other verses later. And this is the very word of God Almighty to us. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's side, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. And so Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. When Gina and I were engaged, uh, we went through premarital counseling, uh, highly recommended. And uh, our premarital counselor gave us an exercise challenged us to think about married couples in the church and to really think about who we would like to be like, basically. What couples would kind of provide models for us of of different aspects of marriage. And so we were in a 1,400-member church at the time, and, you know, we were single. We didn't know a ton of married couples, and so we, we knew several. So we, we really talked about it, and we came up with a few, and that was actually helpful. This morning, I'd like to give you the same challenge, but I'd like for us to change what is being modeled. I want you to think about people in our church or, or just in the city who are Christian businessmen or Christian businesswomen who really model what it looks like to to live our faith out in the marketplace. You know, we could like call a time out on the sermon right now. I could walk down here and say, okay, let's have a talk. What are some of the things that you see happening that, that are helpful to, to be modeled? I mean, what would those things be? We probably would hear integrity yelled out, you know, or, or fairness. And, and just a, a list of different wonderful attributes uh, of what it might look like to be in the the working world and really represent Christ. But today I'd like for us to take a a, a good look at a godly man named Boaz. Uh, The minute Boaz appears on the scene in the book of Ruth, everything begins to change. Verse 1 of of chapter 2 that we just read says that Boaz, the NIV says he was a man of standing in the community. So he's kind of a well-thought-of person. The the version we read, the ESV, said he is a a worthy man. So what we surmise about Boaz is Boaz obviously has great fields and many employees that work for him in his fields. But um, he's a man of standing in the in the the city in which he lives. He's a respected man. And he is a man who loves God. He's what we would call today a Christian businessman. That is not an oxymoron. And there are two pictures that I'd like to kind of paint for you from this narrative. 
about what a godly business person might look like if Boaz is the model today. They are that Boaz takes grace into the marketplace and, and that Boaz takes grace to the lowest of people. He takes grace into the marketplace and he takes grace to the lowest of people. What does it look like for Boaz to take grace into the marketplace, um, to take his relationship with God from church to work? You know, what, what does that look like? And, and we see it in a, in a couple of ways here. And the first is the way he deals with the people that work for him. And you might be a manager or you might be an owner or you might be an employee. All of these things I'm about to say, Boaz happens to be the owner in the passage. But I want you to, to really think about um, how it is that we relate to people we work with, okay? And uh, the, he, it says in verse 4, and behold, Boaz came. The boss showed up. Everybody's looking at the boss. Behold, see, look. Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to his reapers, The Lord be with you. And they said, The Lord bless you, Boaz. I mean, that's, that's pretty wild, you know. Uh, the boss came uh, onto the premises, uh, to the office, and the first thing he said was, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you as well. Now, I know that it might have to look a little different. Uh, ancient Israel might be a little different than maybe your place of work. Uh, maybe the Lord, this and that, might not be the starting point that you can that you can start with. But but notice what Boaz is bringing them. Don't get don't get hung up on the language itself. Notice what he's bringing them. It's blessing. It is blessing. Boaz is blessed by the Lord, and he wants the people that he works with to be blessed. Boaz walks into his place of work, and the first thing he wants to do is lift these people up. I want you to know that anybody can do that, starting tomorrow morning. And that is a way of bringing blessing. Now, you people that work at Highlands Presbyterian Church, you can say, the Lord bless you, right out loud. And we'll say, the Lord bless you as well. But... um. When you take grace from church to work, what it really is, and Boaz shows us this, is a focus on the value of people and a deep desire for those people to be blessed by God, for something good to happen in their lives. You want to, and, and you want to affect them in some way that changes the game that particular day. And that is exactly what we can do still today. So often, however... Believers in business tend to kind of check their Christianity at the door and enter the arena, enter battle. You know what I'm saying? It's like we're kind of a Christian at church. We have that, we're carrying that, and we kind of check it at the door. And we'll pick it up when we go home, when quitting time is, is there. But um, that's, not a good, that's not a good way to do it. I remember growing up, uh, we used to love, you. For, for those of you who are older like me, uh, and I'm sure some of the younger people know about Bugs Bunny and, and all the Lo Looney Tunes cartoons, you know, and there's a whole bunch of them. 
Well, one of the lesser known ones that I really loved, uh, I don't know, remember the name of the cartoon. Uh, it was a cartoon that was shown quite often uh, about a wolf named Ralph E. Wolf and a sheepdog named Sam. And uh, you'll have to, if you write that down, you can Google it and you can watch a few of those cartoons. I actually did. I wanted to make sure my memory was correct before I stood up and, and talked like this. Uh, Ralph E. Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog, all right? So uh, here's what would happen, is that Ralph and Sam would come to work every day, and there would be a time clock, okay? And they would come, they would have their time card, and they would be very politely uh, behind one another, and they'd punch the time clock, and the wolf would say, good morning, Sam. And they had their, like, Aladdin industrial lunchboxes with them. Good morning, Sam. Good, good, good morning, Ralph. And as soon as the second time clock was punched, it was just war all day. Because Ralph E. Wolf wanted to eat the sheep that Sam the Sheepdog was trying to protect from Ralph E. Wolf. And I mean, it was, it, it was on, you know, and it was all kind of strategy and, and all kind of fur was flying and combat and stealth and trickery and, and everything. And then the five o'clock whistle at the end of the, the cartoon, the, there would be a whistle that they would show that blows, you know, like in a factory. And they go back and they take their time clocks and, and just stop everything. And just, good night, Sam. Good night, Ralph. I, I, just, I always thought that was hilarious. I mean, it's just so funny how different they could be on the job than off the job. Totally different at work. That's not funny if you're a Christian. That, that's not funny for a Christian in the workplace to, to kind of punch a clock and to change into something else during work hours. There should not be a disconnect between the you that is sitting here in church today and the you that will show up in a place of work, in a home situation, in a school situation, whatever the situation is. There should not be this radical disconnect between you and you. And Boaz is seamless. Of course, it is ancient Israel, and, and you know, and you can just kind of capture it in one line. The, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you too, boss. The Lord bless you too, Boaz. And, and we see in, in this book, in his dealings with people, in his dealings with his employees, in his dealings with this young woman named Ruth that we're about to learn about, a little bit more about in a moment, and his dealings with a relative of, um, of, of Ruth's mother-in-law. I'm talking about some really interesting dealings, just how he brings honor, how he brings lift uh, in, into these situations. Now, look, I'm not saying you can't be wise, bold, or courageous at work. There are times in whatever you're called to do that we, we, we in our faith, call, it, call them callings and not jobs. They're, they're holy callings to, to represent and be in Christ and, and represent and do a good job with that at work. Yes, sometimes that requires incredible courage. Sometimes that requires incredible wisdom. Um, I'm not saying you, you shouldn't be tough sometimes. Sometimes you have to be a little tough. Sometimes you have to bring correction. I get it. I'm not saying that there's not fierce competition sometimes in your world, in the marketplace, that requires a relentless, focused mental discipline. I'm not saying you just got to be smiling, you know, kind of above the clouds, 
happy, 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 fakey Christian all the time at work. Go be there. But lift people up. Bring blessing. And over time, if you're seeking to consistently live out the gospel of Jesus Christ, live out who we are with God, translated into who we want to be at work. Do you know that one day you might have an opportunity after living that out for a while to speak out the gospel of grace to someone who might want to know why you're that way or someone that wants to know you for you. And one of the most important things about you is that you are a recipient of grace you didn't deserve and love that is unconditional, that is at the core of your being and you're happy to tell what is most important to you. Boaz seeks to, to bless his employees. He brings grace to the marketplace. But, but I also want you to see that, that Boaz takes grace into the marketplace by creating what we might call win-win situations. Um, he obviously cares about his employees' well-being and the well-being of other people as we get to know this guy in the text. You know what's meant by a win-win situation? Let me just tell you the opposite. The opposite is a win-lose situation. I win, you lose all the time. I represent my interest, and I don't care about your interest. The only reason you work here is my interest. The only reason we work together is for me to be promoted above you. The only reason this, the only reason that is, is my interest and not yours. Well, a win-win says this, I'll give to you. I, I am interested in your benefit as well as my own. I will conduct my interest with, with interest in you. I want you to gain in my dealings with you. And wonder of wonders, people who are treated that way respond differently to people who are always made to lose. Wonder of wonders. That when something of grace and blessing is given, something of the value of people made in the image of God, something of love and meaning other-centeredness is, is given, there is incredible response. And you know what? Graciousness is good business if you're looking at it long term. I don't mean trying to, to manipulate something for a, a short-term haul. I'm talking about who you're going to be, what people are going to think about you, who's going to want to work with you and keep working with you or for you, and for what reason, and how productive they will be, how much they will own what they're doing because they feel included, because they feel value, because they feel loved. This is huge in business. And it is a, a shame when people who are, have the grace of God and the love of God do not present an interest, a literal interest in the other people that we deal with, whether we work with them, for them, uh, under them, whatever the situation is. R.C. Sproul wrote a book several years ago that I read entitled Stronger Than Steel. It's a great book, Stronger Than Steel it's called. It's a book about a, an executive in a steel company. I think it was Bethlehem Steel uh, in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, his name was Wayne, is Wayne Alderman. That's the CEO's name. Well, Wayne Alderman was promoted to be the CEO of Bethlehem Steel, I think. And um, the most amazing thing happened. Like it like made the papers. It made the business journals. 
Wayne Alderman kind of began what has come to be known as the value of the person movement, the value of the person program in his steel company. He was a Christian businessman in the mold of Boaz, and he valued his employees. He lifted them up. He looked after their interests. He listened carefully to them. He even invited them at every level in steel production to give their opinions about what could be improved. He invited them to not only be valued, like, I like being with you, I'm glad you're here, and and some kind of a personal connection, but also be valued in what they thought. And, uh, and so this began to catch hold, and people's attitudes began to change all along this process, and production went through the roof. And it was a happy, happy, happy place to work. And the stock went up, and the production went up, and, and, it, and it went up so high that uh, another company said, man, we need to buy that steel company. And so the steel company was acquired by another group of investors, and the new regime didn't like all that fuss over workers and their preferences about conditions of work, about ideas for the process itself, and they reversed every one of Wayne Alderman's reforms. And Wayne Alderman was terminated and production plummeted. So I just got to ask you, Boaz just brings grace to the marketplace. It's in the form of blessing, lifting people up. It's in the form of valuing people, creating mutual interest, win-win situations. Do you act like a Christian at work? That's, that's, that's a needed question today. Uh, do you bring grace to the marketplace? When I say do you act like a Christian at work, I don't mean showy displays of spirituality. Just cut it. You know, why don't you act like it and then speak it? Um, Do you desire blessing for people? Do you desire God's blessing for people? Do you pray for the people you work with? Do you know the people you work with? Do you want to know the people? You see kind of where this goes. Do you create win-win situations for them? This is one of the the main places where our true spiritual metal is tested. Because there's a lot of pressure in this environment. And it is under pressure that we get tested as to what our true commitments and foundational commitments really are. So, first we see Boaz interacting with the people that he works with. Boaz taking grace into the marketplace. But then we see that Boaz, the second thing, takes grace to the lowest of people. It's really impressive to me. Um, it's not just his employees that we see him valuing, like really focusing in on. He, it's even the poor. Boaz, the godly businessman, the, 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 you know, the man of standing in the community, the community leader, cares about the disadvantaged people in his community, and he wants to lift them up. And they desperately need lifting up. Now, if you were here last week and we looked at those first three verses that, that I read from beginning today, you would have remembered that in Leviticus there was a law. It was kind of the, 
Israelite food stamp program. It was literally a governmental law. It was, they were called the gleaning laws. And the gleaning laws had to do with, you know, uh, Israel was an agrarian society. So it was based on harvest. It was based on herd, etc. And so the gleaning laws had to do with the fact that, so you've got this field of, of really well-produced grain. You're not allowed to harvest the grain all the way out to the edges or in the corners. And you're supposed to leave a little bit of grain behind. And while you are harvesting, the poor have the right governmentally, to come onto your property behind the reapers. Yeah, this is before that kind of litigation. Behind the reapers and uh, pick up as much grain as they want to eat. And they're not going to have food. Well, this is, as we kind of meet Boaz this morning, for real, it, it happens to be the harvest time. That's why the poor people are there. They're supposed to be there. And Boaz's employees, you know, the ones he's been blessing, are now in the process of harvesting grain and harvesting profits for Boaz. And um, Boaz, interestingly, sees, notices a stranger in his field, a poor woman, obviously poor, who is picking up the leftover shocks of wheat, that uh, he's not seen that woman before. And we, we read in verse 5, Boaz, I'm reading the Bible here, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, quote, whose young woman is that? Now let me tell you why that's impressive. Because it kind of gives you the impression that Boaz knew who all the regular poor people were. I mean, not only was this an agrarian society, this was a society of small towns. I mean, yes, there was Jerusalem, but we're talking about Bethlehem here, not Jerusalem. We're talking about a small town. Everybody knows everybody in a small town. Some of you from Mississippi, small towns, get that? I mean, you can be walking downtown, somebody drives through, you say they're not from here. Look, for Boaz to know who the poor people are, and then to notice a poor person as somebody new that needs food, and he's like the CEO of, of Boaz Agribusiness Incorporated, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Who's, who's this new one, he says? What, what's her name? And I want to point something out to you. Being gracious with people who can turn around and benefit you is one thing, that like the workers, the win-win situation, but being gracious to lowly people who have nothing to offer you, that is quite another thing. Notice when Boaz asks who she is, the foreman describes her as simply, quote, the Moabite who came back with Naomi from Moab, he's implying that Ruth being poor and a foreigner is hardly worth noticing. But Boaz makes it his business to notice, and he responds with mercy to this new person, with kindness, with generosity, um, and just by asking, he finds out that she is the daughter-in-law of his relative, Elimelech, who died in Moab. That was Naomi's husband. So I want, I want to just read. Remember, it's 1 through 18. Aren't you glad I'm not going verse by verse, like verse by verse? It'd be like a three-hour sermon. So I'm just going to read verses 8 through 18, and I want you to just see the focus and the graciousness that this leading citizen gives to this young woman. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, he went out to talk to her. Now listen, my daughter. Do not glean in any other field. Do not leave my field. Keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go and follow them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you, literally to, for her to be protected from the, the male workers? Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Get some water. And listen to this. This is incredible. Verse 10. And Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to Boaz, Why? Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? And I am even a foreigner. Do you get this? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of, of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and how you left your native land of Moab and how you came to live among a people, Israel, that you did not know before. No, he says to Ruth, may the Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the God, by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I could cry right now. How tender, how incredibly focused he is on this person and her need and her family need. Verse 13, then she said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for, excuse me, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, your servant, though I am not one of your workers. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. You know, they're starving to death when they come back. Come over here and, and eat some bread and, and dip your bread morsel into the wine and so she sat beside the reapers and she, and she passed her roasted grain and, and it was passed roasted grain to her. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. And when she arose to glean to go back out and harvest some more, you know, that it was left behind, Boaz again spoke to her. Boaz instructed her, instructed his young men saying, instructed his men, rather, let her, let her glean among the sheaves and, and don't reproach her. Listen to this. Also, put some extra out for her. I mean, this is the Scriptures, verse 10. Also, put some, pull some of the bundles already harvested. Pull some of the bundles for her and leave it for her. And do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah, like a, you know, like a, almost a gallon, uh, an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that what she had gleaned, and she brought it out and gave her what food she had left over from the meal. She didn't even eat the whole meal because she brought some to Naomi as well as the ephah of grain. 
You know, Boaz had no way of knowing that this poor young Moabite that he took an interest in was the daughter-in-law of his dead cousin. It was just through compassion for the poor that he even learned this. And he fed her, he encouraged her, he sent her more than enough food home with her. Now, I will come back to this conversation when we, when we talk about there's going to be a relationship. If you like love, L-U-V, you need to come back next week. It's going to turn into love real quick here. But we'll, we'll come back a little bit to this, this conversation and how important this conversation is. And we'll, we'll kind of get a little bit more into the, the conversation. But, but for now, I just want you to see that it all started by him just going to work with grace in his heart. And caring to bless and to lift up his employees and caring about the lowest people, the most needy people. Just like you can do tomorrow morning. Wouldn't that be great? Just like you and I can do tomorrow morning. You know, I think sometimes people don't really buy in to what we're talking about here. And this is kind of a revelation to me personally, interestingly. But sometimes we don't buy into this because we kind of feel like if we're going to like impact someone's life, we, we talk in terms of impact as opposed to just kind of getting in there and living with them and knowing, well, who knows what the impact will be. But I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to impact people. Can I just tell you that you just don't have to be a hero at work? You don't have to make everything okay in people's lives. That's not what we're talking about here. You don't have the power to make anyone happy. Zero. I mean, you can cause them to smile, but you can't make them happy. God is not tasking you to strap someone on your back and act like Jesus to them, like literally the Savior. You're not Jesus. And so sometimes I think we go, well, I don't want to get involved. I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I want to show my cards. I don't want to show that I love this person because maybe they'll expect for me to, to like straighten out their life or make everything okay. Or if I help them this one time, what if I don't help them next? You know, all this other stuff goes on in our heads. But what you, but, but the question is this. Would you write this down? I don't ask you to write much down, but would you write this down? What? Instead of trying to make their life, what can you give that person now that they need and that would it be appropriate for you to give them? Just give them something. Even if it's just a word of encouragement. Give it to them. Here's the question again. What can you give that person now that they need that would be appropriate for you to give them? Look, if we went to work every day asking the question, what can we give this person now that they need that would be appropriate? If we went home to our marriages and asked the question, what can we give this person that they need that would be appropriate to give them? If we got with our children and asked this question, what, can we, what, what are we given that we can give that they need? Or, or in any space. Y'all, I don't know why. That's a revelation to me. Maybe I'm pastor and, you know, pastors like to fix people. I don't know. 
I'm looking at a counselor out here. Jim Brown, quit psychoanalyzing me. That's what it looks like. At least that's what it looked like in Boaz's life. Um, And we have reasons to live like that. Just daily. We have reasons to live like that. You know, Boaz was a man of grace. And I marvel at these Old Testament people that really believed in grace, really experienced God's grace. You know, they all believed in this Messiah who would come. All their faith was forward to, to that, that, that one lamb that would, would pay for the sins of, of the people. You know, that one king that would reign on David's throne forever. They're all, they're, their faith was forward in that. We, on the other hand, far different from both. We got the whole story. We got the whole story. We've got the cross. You want to know whether you're loved? Look at the cross. You're more loved than you could have ever come up with on your own. Because the cross says you're loved unconditionally, sacrificially, ultimately. We've got the cross. We've got an empty tomb. We've got a new life. We've got a new kingdom. We've got a new world. A kingdom of God that's invading this world right now through the people of grace. You know, sinners like us. The people of grace. It's here, folks. The kingdom of God is at hand because of the cross, because of the empty tomb, because the Holy Spirit is within us with power. It's an amazing thing. We, we know so much more than Boaz have. We, we have God's love. We have God's generosity in every way. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the assurance of a heaven that is waiting, that's a new Eden and a city of the presence of God where there will be no tears and only joy and purpose. And so we who have received grace, should we willingly want to be people of grace? I just don't think I just don't think the yeah, but you don't understand my workplace line just works. I remember um I heard Howard Hendricks talking one time when I was a young Christian and he said uh, that someone approached him and, and, he, and this person said, uh, Dr. Hendricks, you need to pray for me. And he said, what do I need to pray for? He said, well, I'm the only Christian in my whole workplace. He said, really? He said, yeah, it's awful. He said, and Dr. Hendricks said, really? How many people work there? A little bit more than 300 people. And he said, really? He goes, yeah, more than 300 people live there and I'm the only Christian in the workplace. It's just horrible. And Dr. Hendricks said, really? And you could tell that something was about to flip here. The the script was about to be flipped. He said, really? I can't. You mean God's entrusted you with 300 people? You see, it's just a different way of looking at it. We're not talking about niceness here. We're not talking about personality types. We're talking about God's grace. God's love. That does impact people. As we just live among them and love them in His name. Um, and life's just more interesting and more fun when we live like that. And it's just more of a rich, meaningful adventure when God's grace is turned loose. And you never know what the Lord's going to do. You never know who you're going to know. You never know what hearts will be joined together 
And it all has this, this, this kind of fabric, this kind of wovenness, this beauty about it. And we get to have a part in that. It's just being captured by grace and giving grace, even in our work. And God can use you in your workaday life. You know, little did Boaz know that the life he was impacting, Ruth, would lead to one of the keys. Ready for this? One of the keys to the future of the entire people of Israel. Little do you know that just being gracious would lead to one of the keys for the future of you and me. You'll have to stick around to find out what that means from the book of Ruth. There's an incredible punchline in, in the book of Ruth. But you know, that day, I'll tell you what he was. It's what we can be Monday morning. That day, he was just a godly businessman. He wasn't trying to change Israel. If, that day, he could just be a godly businesswoman who brings blessing to work and grace to the marketplace. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. We are us, and we know that you are holy and great and gracious beyond compare. Lord, we are fundamentally not like you. And thank you that in our great need, while we were yet sinners, you sent your Son to die for the ungodly. That's us. And he paid it all so that we can have all the relationship with you all the grace and you never withhold your grace from people who've come to you in faith your children you don't withhold your love and if you've never put your trust in Christ you'd like to have that grace that forgiveness and that love purchased by Jesus completely what you couldn't do for yourself just pray with me Lord I need your grace and I can't get it through my own efforts so I want to turn from everything that I've called religion. I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity and put my trust, Jesus, in this gift in what you have done for me and receive you into my life. Even now, Lord, thank you that you have forgiven me. Even now, thank you that you've exchanged my sin for a relationship with you. And Lord, thank you that you're going to lead me every day of my life to the degree that I want to be led and am willing to be led. Lord, there are many of us who've walked with you so many years and we understand your grace sometimes more clearly and profoundly than other times. But Lord, sometimes we do have a, have a hard time extending that grace to other people. Maybe we're afraid that we won't be enough. Maybe we're afraid of the expectations that they will have upon us. Or maybe we're afraid that your grace won't be enough. But thank you that it is. And would you cause us to, to look at you, Jesus, in such a way that, that we would be persuaded, even now, that your grace is enough. And God, would you use ordinary people like us just to be able to give something that someone needs tomorrow that would be appropriate to give them just out of love and grace? Could you just do that 
throughout this congregation. Lord, thank You that not only will people be blessed and lifted up, but we ourselves will see in a fresh way Your grace at work. And so God, encourage us by that same grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.